Well, let me say again, I'm glad you're here, but uh, I got some bad news for you. I can't solve anything for you tonight. Well, not me personally. I can't even help or solve things for myself, but God can. And he desires to do so, and he is present here tonight, and his spirit is right here with us in his word. And I'm here tonight primarily to facilitate, if you will, uh, to share and for us to break chains together, us, me here and, and you, all of us in this room, and to see victory together. It's really what Jesus established this church for. Do you think Peter was some incredibly sharp, strong guy after he just denied Jesus three times? And Jesus said, oh, by the way, I want you to preach in a couple you know, weeks. 3,000 are going to get saved. Uh, no, I'm a pastor and I'm a f- follower of Christ. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a life coach or a nutritionist or even an essential oils expert. You know, all these things that are out there today, right? <laughs> now, there's a role and a need for a lot of these things. And. Um, the clinical things as well as the practical things, I, uh, I think that they, they serve good needs. But the greatest need by far and away, and the one that always has to be addressed first when looking for help, is that help that comes from God. Not from a person, not from some medical practice or anything else. Uh, the Lord can solve the things that nobody, and I mean nobody, can solve. I want to say that again. The Lord can solve the things that nobody can solve. Jesus did this routinely in his earthly ministry. People that had spent years trying to fix things, he comes along and fixes it because he had that power. But the, the, the key is we have to surrender to him. I've personally been, personally me, I'm not speaking to someone else. This is me, I'm speaking to me. I have personally at times been completely overwhelmed. You ever been there? I mean, completely overwhelmed at times by things that flood my own mind with fear and anxiety and doubts. You ever been there? Well, I was there today. Uh, This, personally for me, this blew me away because, um, and confused me actually, uh, because uh, for about 90% of my life, I'm 48 now, but about 98% of my life, I had a fearlessness and calm, you know, that's just, I remember one time when I was uh, in, the, in the business world and the software industry, I was in Seattle and I, I had to fly there, I had like two hours sleep, I had to learn some software in the middle of the night and be in cameras. I was actually in Bill Gates' studio at the Microsoft corporate headquarters, uh, in his studio where he would do his filming and I had to film a software uh, demo that was going to be put on Microsoft.com, it was going to go all over the world. I had no time, I had to be ready. Lights, camera, action, I hit, go, I was ready to go. Didn't care, ready to, was able to hit almost all the things on the first take. Flew back, a little sleep. So for the most of my life, I really didn't have any kind of issues with, you know, just, just go right through it, plow right through it, fearless, you know. But that was and is a false sense of security. For everyone here, that was, and I was a Christian at that point. Matter of fact, um, for you know during that time, uh, you know I was a strong believer, and you know witnessed to people and told people about Jesus. But um, years after salvation, I was in the Scriptures. But that false sense of security for years, um, you know, my wife who's not here tonight, but she told me I was free to use her in certain ways, right? Uh, she said, you know, my wife, I remember year, years earlier, she would struggle with fear and anxiety. I didn't even know, what, what are you talking about? That's kind of the way I would look at her, you know, like, what are you, just plow right through it, nothing, you know, no big deal, you know, you, what are you talking about? It's in your mind and all this kind of stuff, like, you just run roughshod over that, you know? Until, the, until God um, allowed my own mind to become destabilized, and I don't mean destabilized in the sense that, you know, I needed to, you know, 
get a straight jacket on or something like that. But uh, just that uh, all of a sudden, you know, like what are these irrational fears and things like that? So I can, after a while, later on, I could relate and understand what, what it was she was talking about. And um, now again, I had always been sincerely walking with the Lord and being a witness, no, no known sin in my life, growing in the Lord. But here's what God told me about me personally. Again, what he speaks to you is going to be individual for you, but it might be sometimes some, some, something that someone else has. It might be something different. What God was clearly starting to speak to me, and it started about seven years ago, was there was still too much of me even though I was serving the Lord, even though I was yielded to the Lord. God said, but not all the way. And I don't even feel still, I still think I've got a ways to go. How about you? There's other areas. Matter of fact, when, when God gets done cleaning up one of your closets, there's another one coming. But nevertheless, um, you know, I, I just felt like God said, still too much of you. Uh, and God has personally shown me that I was and I am much weaker than I thought. And that's actually a healthy place to get spiritually. When you finally realize that you bring nothing to the table, uh, God's like, now, you know, and Jonah was in the belly of whip, now I can use you because you're stuck in this whale. David, now I can use you because you're running for your life. Kind of the way it works. But uh, I, I found out in my weaknesses that God, that's where he wants to bring me personally through. That's what he wants to bring you through and to change us for his purposes and for his glory. Um, in full disclosure, I actually had some level of anxiety preparing a message about anxiety. <laughs> you ever been there? Some of you as parents, you know, th this isn't really strange, by the way. If God was looking for perfect people, no one could be a pastor, period. It's not going to happen. If God was looking for parents, none of you could be parents if you weren't if, perfect parents, I mean. Then we're all disqualified. How would you be able to give a talk to your kids about organization and then they go and show you your closet? Right? <laughs> or oh, I'm going to give you a talk about what it means to be disciplined in this area. And then they're like, oh, really? And they can rattle off all of your flaws, right? But, again, God wants to take things that we think are going to destroy us and say, no, 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 this is just me showing you that you, without me, are very weak. Yet, I've come to know this. If I've come to know anything about God, it's this, that God uses flawed people to help flawed people. We, you know, we were in Bonaire Sunday night, and we've got these kids in there that have committed all kinds of things and they're hurting it but we, we remind them all the time that we were we're just broken vessels come to reach come to reach you guys that's all we're not we're not better and you know better citizens and anything else you and me are all god has to work with this room is representative of any other group of christians and if someone here and they don't know the lord i pray that tonight you give your life to Jesus Christ. But for the most, if you are saved, uh, you, and, you and me, we're all God has to work with. If he doesn't have anyone else to work with. So if you say, well, well, I'm a mess. Well, you're a good candidate to be used by the Lord. You're a really good candidate. But God wants to and he will do amazing things and works of grace with those of you in this room. And those that aren't in this room that wanted to come and wanted to be here, or, or those that should be here. I, tell, I said, I, my mind, I said, it'll be 88% women here tonight. That's probably about 82.4% uh, women or whatever it is. But um, because men are the worst at admitting that they are weak and they struggle and they got all kinds. Matter of fact, they'll bundle up for years and then just. Massive heart attack or something. And by the way, we have enough issues to deal with without holding stuff in. God wants, God wants to... By the way, there's no breaking of chains when you guard. For, at some point, you've got to let things go. So God wants to do things uh, with us, and I can assure you 
but the promises of God that are in his word, if we hear him and we obey him, he will break chains and far beyond those in this room. Matter of fact, when your chains are broken, it'll actually help other people's chains be broken. I heard a quote this the other day. It said that uh, our fruit often grows on other people's trees. And it's true. When we see God do a work in us, it's going to have a ripple effect. Uh, and he'll do things uh, that you maybe even have been praying for for years. Turn with me to a passage um, for just a minute. Psalm chapter 37. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 37. Even if you don't know the Bible well, just open to the middle and you're almost to Psalms in most Bibles. Psalm 37. By the way, if you want to read Psalm 36 and 37, those two chapters back to back, if you wake up in the night and you're having a rough night, just start reading Psalm 36 and 37. They'll help you big time. They're not the only passages, but they're two good ones. Psalm 37, uh, verses 5 through the middle of 7. Psalm 37, verses 5 through 7. This is a promise to us all here tonight. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. See, bring what to pass? If you need chains broken, he'll bring that to pass. If, if you're deeply depressed and distressed, he will heal that. He'll bring that to pass. If it's some sort of doubts you have, he'll bring to pass that his spirit will help you overcome that and have faith in those areas. Whatever, whatever your specific need is tonight, because I don't know what it is, uh, he will bring it to pass. But, but go back to the beginning. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he'll bring it to pass. He'll bring forth your righteousness. He'll bring, when you, by the way, when, you, when he brings forth your righteousness, that comes with things like joy, peace, right? happiness, faith, the things that would dominate your mind. Uh, he'll actually give deliverance and relief of those things. But I want to start this, again, that was the passage that the Lord laid on my heart just to, to share with you that he can be trusted to take if we say, Lord, if you're asking me to do this, and I do it, what will the result be? The Lord said, I'll bring it to pass. I'll, I'll heal you. I'll heal your mind. I'll hear, heal the psychosomatic uh, symptoms that you're displaying. You know, a lot of them are very, very real. They're not just very real. They're, they're real. You ever have a panic attack, you can literally collapse if you've ever had one in this room, Right? I remember the first time I ever had one, I was like, whoa, what in the world was that? Right? Especially if you'd never experienced anything like that before. Or if you have a, a deep depression, you say, what? Did I just have a suicidal thought for someone in this room? It may have, I mean, people that have actually, where did that come from? I've never even thought that way before. Because we're dealing with the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. Only God has control over the spiritual realm. We can fall into it, but God has power over it. You see the difference? I mean, we're actually in the spiritual realm whether we, whether we like it or not, but God has power over it. He can bring things to pass we can't. I can't even assure you that I could get here tonight unless God brought it to pass, right? Could have been a 20-car pileup and you thought I was going to be here and I didn't show up, but he brought it to pass. He got you here. That's only by his grace because he controls time and space, but he also controls all the other things in the universe. So when he says, hey, if you do it my way, I'll give you the deliverance. But it's going to be in his... Last verse there in verse 6, wait patiently on him. It's not always exactly when we think or when we want because he's got some work to do on us. He's still going to wring us out of us. To go back to my own uh, experience there. But I want to start with the reality of where we're at as human beings um, in this world that we temporarily call home. Temporarily call home. So I've got my clicker here. This is a workshop. The first, um, we'll, we'll do two, two sections and we'll take, a little, we'll take a little break where you can go and hit the restroom and uh, stretch your legs and whatever else. Then we'll come back and uh, I'll have you out of here by nine, maybe even a little bit before that. But um, 
But this is important stuff, so I'm glad you've dedicated the time tonight. God will honor what you've done to be here. I promise you that. He, he will honor. He'll honor you being here. He'll really honor if you apply what he says in his word. Because being here is just, you know, that's only half the battle. The rest is now say, God says, all right, now I want you to put these things into practice. But we're going to first look at the battleground. What do I mean by that? Well, the battleground is two connected battlegrounds. That's the world we live in and our minds. The world is and has been a mess for a long time, ever since the Garden of Eden. A lot of times we forget. Sometimes we're really aware of how messed up the world is. We kind of see the news and maybe there's a London attack like uh, last week or something like that. We just kind of get this. And I, I think I, I told some of you all I put on Facebook because you're Five years earlier, I was right there on Westminster Bridge, and I, I was walking that bridge, and you know, I was like, wow, I could have been there the day that an SUV's mowing people down. That's a frightening thing. That could, that could actually trigger someone having issues for years to come. I, I, that, I now think of people differently when they experience tragedies, because I'm like, I wonder what impact this will have on them. Who's going to help them when now they can't sleep at night and all these kind of things? It's not just it's, oh, well, at least they survive. No, it's, it's, a lot of times survivors uh, have all kinds of post-traumatic stress and things like that. But the world has tornadoes, it has wars, has terrorism, has layoffs, has cancer, has auto accidents, has health insurance costs, has drug addiction, has crime, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Why we have deadbolts and all kinds of uh, things that we're concerned about, and you know, we're trying to manage it all, right? Not to mention the kids and who's going to pay for college and all this. The list is, matter of fact, if I on this list, and some of you are going to start stressing out right now. <laughs> You're like, I, was, I had forgotten that for a few minutes. Thank you for the reminder. But this is why we have Facebook and TV and video games and phone apps and YouTube funny clips to, to kind of help escape reality as long as we possibly can. And maybe we can, we can do this for hours if we had to. Most people, even Christians, are working to find some utopia and peace. While Jesus would say, you fail to understand the reality of the earth, the terra firma you're standing on. Jesus like, you're, you're, you're forgetting you are on a planet that is imploding and he's going to ultimately destroy with the word of his mouth. It's full of evil. A.W. Tozer said the idea that this world is a playground instead of a battleground has now been accepted in the practice of the vast majority of Christians. The vast majority of Christians have stopped believing that the world is a battleground. I think it's a playground. Now, this goes against any rational thought. If they actually look at the world, they couldn't possibly arrive at the conclusion that it's a playground. But, you know, Disney takes up a small little tiny... You look at, you look at Disney World from, from space, it's not going to be visible on the Earth. But it dominates commercials and stuff like that. You would think it's like 90% of the world. The disillusionment can be so heavy when people find out that the world is not a playground. The disillusionment can be so heavy and the fear can be so great when people find out that their leisure plans for life not only don't work, but that bigger difficulties and even tragedies come their way. And they happen. And I know many of you have had tragedy in your family. I've, had tra I've lost two sisters, you know, that one older than me and one younger than me. I, I shouldn't have outlived either of them, but I have. And many of you have your own things in life. But if we're under the thinking that as soon as... Here, here's, the, here's the way we... we and especially the American mind today. It's not really just America. It's all through history. But, but I think we've perfected it about as good as anybody, if perfection would be the right term to use. Uh, if we're under the thinking that as soon as we get that last little fire put out, that last little fire put out, we'll finally be able to kick back and be on permanent cruise control. With just a few minor hookups along, hiccups along the way, just minor ones, maybe a stub the toe in the night kind of thing. But we can finally put that last little fire out. Everything is going to be just fine. That's a mirage. There's a country song I used to like by Tim McGraw. It goes like this. I'm going to live where the green grass grows 
watch my corn pop up in rows. Every night I'll be tucked in close to you. Point my rocking chair to the west, right? Just sit back and enjoy it all. Nice sun, sun up, sunrise, no issues, no problems, none of that stuff's coming. Because that's the, we, we desire that. By the way, there is a place where it'll, it'll satisfy that. It's called heaven. But it's not found here on this earth. But the trials of life keep coming, don't they? Because the, the last little fire to be put out never gets put out because there's another replacement to it. That's the way it is. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He said that. But fear not, I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. You will have tribulation. But By the way, do you think he loved the disciples? Why did he ruin their day by telling them that? <laughs> but Why did he ruin their day by telling them that this world will have tribulation and they were going to actually suffer and all this kind of stuff? But hey, but notice what he said. But fear not. You know, I was telling one of my nephews, I said, hey, don't be a pastor. You might have to skip meals sometimes. You might have to fast. You might have to pray or something like that. Oh, I don't know if I'm... No, no, don't worry. If God calls you to it, you won't mind. I said, now, if you talk to a Navy SEAL and say, hey, if you do this, you might have to jump out of an airplane. They'd say, so what? That doesn't bother me. What God gives you victory over... So that when the apostles grew in their spiritual strength, they no longer were afraid of... The world wasn't perfect. They knew their Savior was perfect, right? They weren't afraid the fact that, hey, every day wasn't going to go perfect, and all their little things were, you know, they were going to have a lot of disruptions, but they were okay because they said Jesus is the one that orders our steps. He said, fear not. I've overcome all that. You never notice that Jesus, you know, uh, for, for, for you hyper-compulsive people, you wouldn't like the interruptions that Jesus had regularly. Where all of a sudden he's moving along, all of a sudden he stops. Hey, we cannot be talking to this woman at the well. We've got places to go, people to see. Did you not know the schedule, Jesus? Do you not have the itinerary? <laughs> the itinerary said we would be here and then here and then here and then here and then here. Some of you have one spouse that this is a big problem with for you, right? Usually God puts one of you together. It's not that way. It's implosion, right? But Jesus said, look, I, I, I'm going to lead your steps. You're going to have tribulation. John 16, these things I have spoken to you, and you might want to write these verses down. They might be, real, well, I know they'll be helpful to you. John 16, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Isn't that a great word? The United Nations is trying for it. People are trying for it. The pharma companies are trying to manufacture it in a lab as if that'll ever work. By the way, that's been tried for the last 6,000 years. Every narcotic you think of, uh, there's ancient ones that kind of do the same thing. They're just plant-based and everything else. But nevertheless, I digress for a moment. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And that's when he goes on to say, in this world you'll have tribulation. But he says, in, even in the world's difficulties, you can still have peace. I sent a tweet out today. I didn't coin it, but you know, if, if you need... Uh, if you're only able to be peaceful when conditions are peaceful, you haven't found real peace yet. We haven't found real peace yet because uh, Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat when it was getting tossed every which way. and He was asleep like a baby. Those of you that watch your kids sleep, you're jealous of them now, aren't you? <laughs> they just conk out in the middle of, you know, they don't, they're not thinking about the bills, they're not thinking about anything. They don't even know what a panic attack is. They're like, oh, I got a hunger attack. That's about all they can think of, right? <laughs> when are we going to have popcorn? When are we going to have this? You know, that. But when we come to the place that we're no longer trying to hold on to this world that is falling away anyway, and our focus becomes living for Christ today and looking to our real home tomorrow, well, that's peace-giving, but it's counterintuitive to us, isn't it? We're like, that can't, poss that can't possibly work. Are you going to say, Jesus, that putting you first is going to give me peace? A lot of times we say, well, I've already done that. But remember, even in my own life, I know I was serving the Lord, and Jesus said, there's still too much of you. There's still too much of you. We still are occupying part of the throne. And he loves this room well enough he wants 
to deliver, but he also wants to be 100% Lord of every single aspect of our life. That's, that should be either comforting to you or some people are like, well, I don't want that. I'd rather stay right where I'm at. I'd rather, I'm going to find me a psychiatrist who'll give me the right prescription, right cocktail. They keep searching, though. By the way, you'd be surprised. Uh, you would be really surprised. I know, a, I know personally a guy who is um, connected to one of the top heart surgeons in the United States, and, and he's done heart surgery for a lot of famous people, and he also works closely with uh, doctors that work with many celebrities. You'd be surprised how many uh, are on camera and everything else and are propped up by th- they have severe anxiety attacks. They have... They, uh, you would say, how in the world do they do that job? It's so limelight. That, and, but they have a lot of people helping prop them up. And Jesus wants to say, you don't need any of that. I will not prop you up. I'll flow through you. Amen. Not propped up. Paul wasn't propped up. He became, I was, we were talking to the men, he became so convinced of the power of God that he, when people ta- tell him, you can't go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you a change. He says, stop wearying me. Stop weeping. Goes, I'm going to Jerusalem. He goes, I don't care if they put, I'm ready to die there. And he meant it. He just had, he had lost a lot of fear of things that we, you know, would worry and toss her. He's like, I'm going to sleep. Y'all can worry about this if you want. Isn't that cool? Now, if I never get to the Apostle Paul's level, you don't either. I still would like to get a lot further than I am. How about you? And that comes by yielding. Now, the other areas are minds. That's the, we have the world that we live in. The, other, the world is a mess, no doubt about that. But how about our minds? Oh, uh, and this is the battle we'll mostly be addressing. Uh, our minds look like the California freeway system. All of us in this room. Neutrons going every which way and, you know, uh, thoughts, competing thoughts, right? You're like, which one's going to win the toll, toll bridge? These competing thoughts. Um, but instead of, uh, thought, instead of cars uh, by the thousands, we have thoughts by the thousand. Instead of bumper-to-bumper bumper highway, it's bumper-to-bumper bumper thoughts all lined up together and uh, accidents happening and police chases in our minds. Helicopters flying, following the cars. And all. This is the way our minds look a lot of times. They're all over the place metaphorically speaking, but Jesus has come to set our minds free. He really has. He's come to set our minds free. This world is a mess, but it wants to mess with your mind. The one that's made it a mess. God says he's not the author of confusion. He's not the author of fear. Fear or confusion. He's not the author of despair, for those of you that are depressed or having despair. He's not the author of anything. We'll get to who is the author of that. You know who it is. But this world wants to mess with your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world that is messed up, that is confused, that isn't. Not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. God wants to refresh and restore your mind. You've seen those uh, renovation shows? You see the before and after house? You're like, wow. I wish they'd come to my house. Right? I'd move into a, I think I now would move into a thousand square foot home if they would do it that nice. You know, you're like, wow, you made such good use of this space. I could kick this one to the curb and save a lot of money. Well, God wants to do a renewing of our minds. Isaiah 26.3, I love this verse. If you don't write anything, write Isaiah 26.3. Some of you might know it already. I love, I love, I love, and I'm screaming in caps here. I love Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him at perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I have held on to that verse like a life preserver many a time. Now, when you really trust in the Lord, that verse will start to sink deep in your soul and transform your mind. You won't just hang on to it. You'll actually express it to other people. You'll become a life giver, not in the sense that you and I, but what you'll give Jesus is what I mean to say, that you'll give him out. But you have, to, you have to kind of find that perfect peace of staying your mind on him and trusting in him. It's a great one to think of. And then 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, 
but we have the mind of Christ. Who has the mind of Christ? Only those that have been born again. Say, well, I don't feel like I have the mind of Christ. You mentioned the California freeway system. That's more like my mind. Well, it has to be exercised and it has to be practiced, right? What good is having a checkbook that you don't actually pick up a pen and write on it, right? You can have the check and the money can be in the bank, but to actually pay the bill, someone has to get the checkbook out and write on it. And God says, I've given you everything. You're going to have to pick up the pen. I've given you the mind of Christ. Now, that's the battleground. Then there's kind of the landscape of littered um, failed attempts here. The failed attempts, habits, and solutions. And this is, and I put solutions in quotations because they're not solutions at all. But there's the things that, that, that people, including uh, well-meaning people like us in this room, uh, we fall into and, and we really do think, hey, this might work. And not all of them are, are sin. I'm not saying they're uh, sin issues. It's just uh, without knowing it, we adopt the world's philosophies on ways to manage and cope. And God doesn't want us to manage and cope. He's called us to be overcomers. He's called us to be victorious, not manage and cope. He said, I give you all authority under, he- under heaven. Right? You guys are going to go out... And I've given you authority. I love what Paul wrote to the Romans. He wrote to Rome, you know, uh, ancient Rome was a, you know, hedonistic pagan place. And he says, you'll see, he told the church there, talk about a confident, if we get this letter ever written by God to us, it's great. He said, you're going to crush Satan underfoot. The Roman church must have felt, let's have a praise service tonight, you know. <laughs> he said, we're going to crush Satan underfoot. That's a, that's a very strong um, word of encouragement. But the failed attempts and habits. I put something up here for, uh, this is medically related. Um, Actually, let me go back so that's not a distraction for one second. We'll come back to that. Um, If you've given your life to Christ, uh, Satan cannot defeat and destroy you anymore. That's a fact. Now, we'll feel like he can. We'll literally feel like he can. But he can't. It's a lie. No one can, the word says that no one can pluck us out of the master's hand. No one. But in most cases, he really doesn't have to damage or destroy us because we do the damaging ourselves by not being disciples of Christ. Salvation was our rescue. A lot of people I know have been soundly saved. They've been rescued. They believed in Jesus for salvation But salvation was our rescue. To be a disciple is our calling. We're all called to be disciples. Not everyone's called to be a missionary. Not everyone's called to be a pastor. But everyone's called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not everyone's called to be an evangelist. Some are. But everyone's called to be a disciple of Christ. So salvation was our rescue. So when Jesus rescued us, he pulled us out of the icy waters in the North Atlantic, right? He drives us off, and then he says, here's what I want you to do. We, many Christians say, I got out of the icy water Atlantic. What do you want me to do? This is what I want you to do. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do something else. Can I get back to you in about 30 years? That's what happens. And he says, but, but by the way, my calling will give you peace and joy. And everyone says, but I think it's, you know, I think it's on HGTV. I think it's uh, with a job promotion. I think it's this. I think it's that. I think if I get a nose job or maybe I need 10 nose jobs. You see, people get addicted to the craziest things, right? And none of them work. And Jesus said, no, no, this is, this is what it is. This is what your calling is. This is what I created you to be. You're going to breathe in the Holy Spirit. You're going to breathe out the power of the Holy Spirit. God loves everyone in this room enough to break us of the very things we think will make us happy, joyful, content, and at peace, and he'll actually replace it with the real thing. The real thing. By the way, you guys are fortunate. You may not think this. Some of you, some of you that, that have, you know, again, there's a wide range in here. Some of you just a twinge of anxiety. God wants to take even that 
and replace it. But some of you have had serious attacks, and no one in this room knows there maybe only a couple of people know. Some of you have deep despair. You're actually in a better place than you would think because God has brought you to the place you believe you need his help. There's a whole lot of people that need to be in here that just will, they'll be in here in the next session. Or next year, or five years from now session. I'll be, I think I'll be doing this type of workshop for the rest of my life because there's a massive millions of people out there struggling with these things. Millions. My wife just got called up to another Calvary Chapel last weekend. She did a uh, ladies thing uh, for... Um, like 50 ladies, a ladies' tea. And so she was asked, uh, she, this has had nothing to do with me setting this workshop up. I, the Lord told me, do it in March before Easter, whatever. I said, okay, I feel, I'll do it. I'll, I don't know if I'm as ready to get all my ducks in a row, but I'll do it anyway. So I did. My wife gets asked, uh, I, I'd say late January, hey, can you be the guest speaker at this thing? And my wife said, sure. And said, what, what do you want me to do? And she goes, I think fear and anxiety, our ladies are really struggling with that. This is in Northern Virginia. It doesn't matter if it's Northern Virginia or here. Talking to another pastor on the phone, we talked for two hours. He just got back from Europe. He's like, I need you to come to this workshop to our church. Can you please do it? I said, you haven't even seen it. It might not even be any good. He said, I don't care. I just want you to come give it because we have so many people struggling. But this, this is all over America. This was a key to winning people to Jesus Christ. But if we can't be made whole, we're going to have a hard time bringing that peace to them. So God wants to do that. He wants to give us the real thing. But we have to believe that his, his way really is the only way and stop trying to find it with a $100 shopping spree at Macy's. That, oh, that'll make me feel better. And it won't. The process can be painful. Uh, it can be repetitive. At the end of the course, um, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, that's why we're here, because it can be repetitive. God says that, that there's a little more I want you to put into practice. There's a little more you've been resistant on. And believe it or not, even when we have a soft heart, there still will be little pockets of resistance in our heart. You guys agree with that? There'll be little pockets of resistance. Where, I want to hold on to this, just this one thing. It can be the dumbest of things, too. I had one time that God told me I had a $7.95 subscription to something. It had, what about the money? God says, I want you to get rid of it. $7.95. I said, but it's like, I don't drink Starbucks. I don't do this. I'm having this conversation with God why I could justify. It has nothing to do with that. That little subscription you waste time on. So I want it gone. So I had to cut that out. Now look at this medical example. Um, we talked about you know, the things that need to be done, have to be done. This is a medical example. This is from health.com. Um, these are habits that are intended to bring enjoyment to life, but medically speaking, these things don't bring enjoyment. Ultimately, they can destroy our quality of life and uh, either slowly or suddenly kill us. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go through this whole list because we don't have that kind of time, but I did, pull, I did circle just a few. And the first one at the top there, um, uh, the first one is watching TV. Now, this is, from, this is from medical doctors. These are things that are severely causing heart disease in the United States. Number one at the list is TV watching. Why? Because as soon as you're done eating, you plop down in front of the TV, and it actually the food, instead of actually starting to be burnt off, is going straight to being stored as sugars and fats, and then it clogs the arteries. So, uh, but TV watching has many bad effects, uh, in the fact that it actually falls under the category of amusement. And muse means to think, and ah means not. So it's called brain dead. In front, you know, we're all guilty of it. We even watch things we don't even like, just because it's something. I think I've seen this movie 18 times. I even saw it. Last night, let's wash it again, because it's on, right? The only thing we need to binge on is the Word of God in prayer. There's no ever God will say, you've been reading too much of the Bible. You've been praying too much. But TV watching, I'm not saying TV. I have a TV. I like sports. 
And I like to watch a movie with my family. I'm not, but it, it has to find, Lord, what is the right balance? Many people, it's way out of balance. It's just, uh, and I bring it up because it's out of balance to the extent that the things God wants us to do and we're not doing. We're not reading. We're not praying. We're not having devotions with our family. And yet we want every kind of blessing from God. And God says, until you do the things I've asked you to do, we're going to, God by the way, God is never, you know, like parents, we give in real easy, like uh, kid starts whining, all right, all right. God doesn't do that. He doesn't like, oh, you whine so much. All right, have anything you want. He's, he can be pretty stern <laughs> to get, because he wants us to get to the right place. The second one um, is number two there, um, without my glasses on, learning, uh, Actually, sorry, it's, it's basically bitterness is what it is. Um, people that are just won't let go and they have this harbored bitterness. Did you realize that bitterness actually contributes to heart disease? Now, it also contributes to spiritual heart disease. Definitely, the, I'm just drawing a parallel between the medical world and the spiritual world here. It contributes to spiritual heart disease. In Proverbs 14.30, we actually see the two connected Proverbs 14.30 says, a sound heart is life to the body. Now, we know this is true medically speaking. A good heart is life to the body, but also a good spiritual heart is life to the body. And Solomon ties the two together. He says, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And we actually know bitterness actually destroys important cells within like bone marrow. Actually causes issues... And actually, that the, you know, the bone marrow level is actually a key thing for health against cancer and things like that. So the body is really connected to the spiritual aspect. But just bitterness, which you can't see, touch, feel, or taste, is actually having a real negative impact on the physical health, but also the spiritual health. Uh, the next one that I circled on the list here, um, and that is withdrawing from people very dangerous. It's very dangerous in the spiritual world. It's very dangerous in the physical world. Uh, isolation, people that just are alone, it is bad for their heart. Bad for the, any cardiologist said you can't do that. You, you actually need human touch. You need to shake some hands. You need to hug some people. You need to actually hear little kids laugh. You need to be around people that are asking you questions. You need to be involved with other human beings. We were not made to be hermits on the top of some mountain, right? But a lot of times today, now we live in a world where you can feel like, I don't need to be connected to the world because I can watch everything right here from my remote control or my TV screen or my, flat, or my little smartphone or whatever else. I don't need to talk to human beings. I talk to them on Facebook. It's not the same. Jesus said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some, but even more so as you see the day approaching. In a day and age where more people are isolating themselves, God says, don't do it. It's really bad for your physical health. So if I can't get through to anyone on their spiritual health, say, I can hopefully say, you know, this is really bad for you physically to withdraw from people. You need to touch and get, be around people and have conversations. We're called as Christians. Pastor Troy did a great job on Sunday, didn't he? We're called as Christians to fellowship. We're called into relationships. We put those tables out there with the umbrellas, not because uh, we just felt like spending money and putting f colorful things up there, although I do love colors. It's that we actually get to know each other more, reach out to each other. Uh, isolation brings deeper depression and deeper despair. For those people that are struggling with depression, isolation makes it worse. And yet, it's the very thing people do. say, I don't feel like talking to anybody, so I'm not going to talk to anybody. It's the worst response. Instead, you must, when you feel that way, get in the car and drive to church. The time that we should come. Uh, Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own rage. He rages against all wise judgment. What is, the judge, what is the wise judgment that someone isolates themselves, rage against? God's wisdom. God's the one that says, get involved. Go to the Friday night fellowship. Get involved. Start going to a men's Bible study or a ladies' Bible study. Build these, get into relationships. But it takes work. I've got to do this. God says it'll be good for every part of your physical health and your spiritual health. doesn't matter what the body feels. The cardiologists say, well, I don't feel like my heart's getting worse. But it, but it is. You can't see it happening. Um, 
Staying away from church or just coming here and there is not a solution for joy and happiness. The happiest people are the ones that are with the people of God. You have to do it. Then the next one, number six on that list, um, all or nothing. All or, what's the, what does that mean? And we're about to come to our first break here. Uh, all or nothing. Well, um, for you perfectionists in the room, uh, well, if it can't be done perfect, let's just not do it at all. <laughs> Horrible solution. Uh, it can't be done perfect. Well, if I can't exercise for 30 minutes, I'll just skip it today. I can't do this. I, can't. I, I teach my kids all the time that you've got to, I teach my kids all the time, you've got to do what you can do, not what would be absolutely perfect. Um, if someone says, you know, I, well, I can't make it to the men's study, I'd be 15 minutes late. It'd be better you to get there 15 minutes late and get 45 minutes of connection and say, well, if I can't be there for the whole time, I'm not going to go at all. But we don't think, here's the funny thing, we don't think of that with non-spiritual things. Nobody would say, well, hey, I got you tickets to the game. Well, if I can't be there as soon as it starts, I'm just not going to go. <laughs> it's a Super Bowl. Well, if I can't be there when it starts, I'd forget it. No, it's paid tickets. No way. The other thing about this one is a lack of perseverance and patience. Things don't happen overnight. Things aren't fixed overnight. So if say, well, if it can't be fixed by next Tuesday, then I'm just not even going to try. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. James 1, 4 says, but let patience have its what? Perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It takes time. I mean, uh, you, you guys know I personally... It, God's been showing me for the last several years just how weak I am. So, I mean, last summer, I, I didn't look in bad shape. The doctor says, your sugars are way high. You're pre-diabetic. I'm like, me? Said, yeah, you. I said, so I had, I'm like, he's like, here's, you have to do this, you have to do this. But I started doing the stuff he said. I, I just said, all right. But I just started trimming little bits here and little bits there, little bits here. I went back and it took me three or four months, but little by little, the numbers started to go down. It doesn't happen overnight. You can't say, I'm going to drink this elixir, and I'm going to see you tomorrow so I, because I still want to eat 10 pieces of cheesecake. I like cheesecake, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, some of you won't ever have that issue. But it's just an example where God says, um, these things are going to take some time, but you're not going to solve them overnight. It's not an all or nothing. Uh, by the way, most things, cold turkey don't work either. <laughs> you, you, you need to you start to make changes. I tell people all the time when it comes to, well, they say, well, I can't yet give, or I can't yet do this, or I can't yet serve. Uh, I work on Sundays, or I have this. I say, why don't you just say I'm going to start to do three of these things this year? Set a goal. And you, get, you start to work to that, which is why many people give up, because there's not, there's not immediate results uh, progress takes time. It takes continuous commitment. And usually takes small little steps. Small little steps. And we'll get into this in the second session we'll, where we'll be uh, finishing up tonight. But uh, Zechariah 4.10 says, For who has despised the day of small things? Little steps have a huge impact. Huge impact. I tell people, say, well, I, I don't read the Bible. And if I can't put it in an hour, I'm not doing it. Like, when did you put an hour? Well, I never have. But if I was going to read, I would read for an hour. So why don't you start with five minutes every day rather than a high peak of an hour once a month and then zero the other 29 days? Except for, well, I opened it when you preached on Sunday. I'm not talking about that. Why don't you start with five minutes a day for two or three weeks? Then add it, make it to six minutes a day. Make it to seven minutes a day. Instead of this all or nothing, but it's, this is in the area of health where people say, well, if I can't, exercise like I want to, then I'm just going to keep doing everything the exact same way, and that will slowly kill a person. Spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. Uh, I don't know who the author was, it's author unknown, but it said attention to little things is a great thing. Make little changes spiritually and uh, in our life. Another tip that I saw another pastor give, aim, aim at 80% of things. Say, you know, 
you don't really aim at 80%, you're aiming at 100, but that you give yourself a lot of kind of a pat on the back if you do it 80% of the time because you're well on your way to really doing well. So if, in other words, you say, you know, um, I'll give one that I blew recently. I made a commitment to read a closing blessing after every service. I think I did it six out of eight times. Two times I completely forgot to write it in the bottom of my notes. Now, you can ding me, but God said, hey, you were, you were getting there, right? Now, eventually it'll become habit where I'll do it 100% of the time. But it won't get to 100% unless I first do it 80%. Does that make sense? You'll never get to 100% of anything unless you first do it 60%, 70%, 80% of the time. Say, I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to start to call mom or dad once a month and tell them I love them. Oh, I missed a month. Well, guess what? You made 11 out of 12. Last year, you were 1 out of 12. Do you see how that little, these little commitments uh, do make an impact? And then the last one here is procrastination. Uh, we put off health changes again and again, uh, but just like the Bible says, today is the day of salvation, we also can put off uh, commitments, and we have to commit to reversing bad habits. Say, Lord, I'm going to commit my ways to you. I'm going to commit these things. I'm going to start to do the things you put on my heart that I've just kind of been put, brushing them aside, brushing them aside, brushing them aside. And those things, believe it or not, God says, until those are put in place, you're going to still struggle with these other things because your mind isn't settled on me. So therefore, anything can barrage your mind because you haven't yet settled it on the Lord. And this is even, by the way, when we get our last session, uh, you know, we can still have a ways to go, even when we start to put these into practice, we're actually breaking sometimes years of the way we think, not just the habits, but the way we think. Um, last thing I'll say on procrastination, you know, things like uh, staying up too late, um, staring at digital screens <laughs> nonstop, no time in God's Word, no exercise. We, we, need, we need to actually exercise the body too. Not willing. So I'm not willing to go to a midweek service uh, or Bible study, I'd rather watch TV and chill out. But that's supposed to refresh us, but doctors say it doesn't refresh us. Every study shows it doesn't refresh us, but we kind of think we do. So um, all these things, we need to um, stop procrastinating. Let's take a five-minute break.